Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6 o'clock a.m. Central Standard Time. Oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. Even Hodel Danat was like going... um, that daylight savings times has a sort of antiquated dinosaurish feel to it and i can only hope that it too gets taken out by a great big ass meteorite this thing needs to go this thing is messing me up it took me forever to get to sleep last night because look your body clock's all jacked up right i don't know if they, i don't know if this was done to us on purpose to screw up our our psyche our psyches or whatever. I don't know, man, but it's, it needs to go. There is no freaking reason for this shit. It's just dumb. So stand in solidarity with me and say no to daylight savings time. That's some stupid, stupid stuff right there. Okay. So, um, announcements. I have a interview with Scott Sibley from, uh, Shamari game. And we, that's going to drop. I'm not exactly sure. I was thinking I was going to drop it on Thursday, but I kind of don't want to wait that long. So I may drop it tomorrow or, or Wednesday. Thursday just seems a little bit far out since I actually recorded the interview like last week. So I don't want to sit on it too long, but that's a good hour and another hour and 20 minute interview with somebody who's just sat down and made a game. If you don't know why I'm saying that, it's because the first interview that I did was with uh, Wayne Wong Chong and Samson Mo from Infinite Fleet talking about the video game that they're working on. If you haven't heard that one, uh, <clears throat> I think that was, uh, <clears throat> oh, it was episode three, going to be episode 311. That's right, episode 311. That was on the, yeah, that was, okay, yeah, episode 311. So just go go listen to that one because that's another hour and an hour and 20 minute long interview with some other game developers, but they're not making a card game. They're clearly making a very large video game. But games are games, and they're. I think that they're going to be kind of critically important um, going going further into the future of Bitcoin. So there, that I've, I've said it. Also, going further, or what's going to be important going further into the future for Bitcoin is circular economy. Yes, I know that it's kind of a touchy subject to part with Satoshis. I get it. And I'm not saying that you need to do this shit right now. I mean, in, you know, it, it's been kind of difficult to do this shit right now because there's not really, you know, we had that whole thing in 2016 and, tw- you know, 20, uh, 2016, 2017. <clears throat> and then it kind of died out a little bit in 2018 about getting merchant adoption. And things are, things are mistimed all the time. In all markets around the world, it doesn't even matter what the industry is. Shit is mistimed, right? So it just, we, there was just a, a misalignment of temporal factors when it came to merchants accepting Bitcoin and Bitcoin being ready for merchant adoption. And a lot of it, honestly, I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that 
most of the consumption going on in the world is actually done in, in first world countries. And honestly, banking, I mean, as much as we know that, that central banks are fairly evil, <clears throat> the financial networks that, that are in place because of them and because of other banks pretty, are fairly solid. I don't really have to worry about going to, you know, a toot and totem or something like that and not being able to buy whatever I need with a credit card in under 10 seconds. Or not credit card, a debit card. I don't use, I just try to stay away from credit cards. That's some bad, that's bad debt. In either event, I never really had to worry about it. And if, if it, if it's not broke, you don't generally fix it. However, it's still important to understand that going further into the future, I'm, I'm getting less and less excited about using fiat and more and more excited about using Bitcoin. And now that I've got a tool like LN Strike, where I can just convert fiat to Bitcoin on the fly and spend it as Bitcoin with anybody who's going to accept it with Lightning Network, then I get really excited. That makes it really, really easy. So why am I talking about this? Well, I ran across what's called something called Spend a Bit. Um, S-P-E-N-D-A-B-I-T, Spend a Bit. And it's spendabit.co if you want to go to the website. And if you want to check out their Twitter account first, instead of going to their website, which is HTTPS, okay, they're, they're not like antiquated, um, then you can go to at spendabit, same, same deal on Twitter, and check it out. So if I go to their website, it says spend BTC across hundreds of stores that accept Bitcoin. And I'm like, okay, so there's a search bar. It's, it's actually a pretty bare bones um, website when you, when you go to spendabit. But so, you know, there's a, a search bar. So I'll just like type in, oh, I don't know, uh, chickens. Let's see what chickens gives me. And I have 440 results matching chickens. And I everything from chicken coops to chicken feed to dog food that is primarily, you know, made from chicken, all kinds of neat stuff. And I can filter by merchant. I can filter by price. I can do all kinds of stuff. Now here's the catch. Like I'll go to one of the products that are listed and it's like, gives me like three columns and a picture of the product. And then, you know, and that whole thing, you know, like, like what you'd expect would be a link that goes to that merchant. Um, I tried four links yesterday <clears throat> testing this out. And what I came up with was three out of four of the merchants um, did not, it's not that they didn't accept, that they actually didn't accept Bitcoin, it's that on their checkout page, there was no where I saw that I could pay with Lightning, no Bitcoin address, there was PayPal, I could see that shit, I could see that shit just fine. But only one actually had like, you know, visible tabs on the side that allowed me to pay in, in, in the, I can't remember exactly which merchant it was, but there was BT, I could pay in, in Bitcoin and like, I don't know, a handful of shit coins. I won't even mention their names. But like when I went to the BTC tab, it gave me an address and I was able to do stuff. So I'm, I'm not exactly sure. I, I think this may be a situation where spend a bit is getting ducks in, in, in rows or maybe some of the merchants that they've represented have stopped taking BTC. So just be aware when you go to spendabit.co, um, you, it may be hit or miss as to whether or not you can actually get it, but Hey, at least they're trying. 
That's all I give a shit about. At least they're trying. And somebody else who's trying pretty hard is Raspberry Pi. Uh, just a, a brief one on this one. Uh, Raspberry, Raspberry Pi 400 has been released. This is from their blog, published sometime, well, sometime early this morning. And I'm just going to get the, to the good part of it here. It says, uh, <clears throat> we've never been shy about borrowing a good idea, which brings us to Raspberry Pi 400. It's a faster, cooler, 4 gigabyte Raspberry Pi 4 integrated into a compact keyboard, priced at just $70 for the computer on its own, or $100 for a ready-to-go kit if you're looking for an affordable PC for day-to-day -day use, this is the Raspberry Pi for you. So buy the kit. The Raspberry Pi 400 Personal Computer Kit is the Christmas morning product with the best possible out-of-box experience, a complete PC which plugs into your TV or monitor. The kit comprises a Raspberry Pi 400 computer, our official USB mouse, our official USB-C power supply, an SD card with Raspberry Pi OS pre-installed, a micro HDMI to HDMI cable, and the official Raspberry Pi beginner's kit. So what have they done? They've just shoved or they've redesigned the board of a Raspberry Pi 4 to be able to fit into this keyboard. So the whole, you just put the keyboard and a couple of cables and a mouse in your backpack or something like that, and if you can find a, a monitor with an HDMI input, you're good to go. You've got your computer on you, and it looks ju it's just a keyboard and a mouse. Think about that. A whole computer, it may not be the most powerful set of a bitch in the world, but, I mean, the Raspberry Pi 4 is, what did they say? Raspberry Pi 4 is like a thousand times faster than the, oh, no, sorry, thousand. No, it's 40 times faster than the original Raspberry Pi that was very first released. Alright, but think about that. <clears throat> Instead of like, you know, if you take a laptop through security at a airport, they're going to scrutinize it. What if it's just a keyboard? And how long, how long before they wise up to that? Well, I don't know how long they wise up to it, but as far as they're concerned, dude, it's just, it's just a, it's just a, like, it's just a keyboard. And if you've got a hard drive, I guess that they would scrutinize the hard drive if they get really picky about it. But still, I mean, I don't know. I think this is kind of cool. It's a whole keyboard, a mouse, and a Raspberry, a Raspberry Pi 4 all in one package. So you can go check that out. Again, called the Raspberry Pi 400. You can go figure out how to get a hold of one of those from www at, or sorry, dot raspberrypi.org. Raspberrypi.org. That's all you need to know. All right. It's the news, baby. It's the news. The Bitcoin white paper turns 12 today. Well, not today. Okay, that's Andrew Yang's uh, headline kind of misleads us a little bit, but because this was published on October the 31st, which is Bitcoin white paper day, also known as Halloween. <laughs> Boo. He's writing this for BTC Times. Today, well, Halloween marks the Bitcoin white paper's 12th birthday. On October 31st, 2008, Satoshi Nakamoto published the crypt to the cryptography, uh, cryptography mailing list the nine pages that made history. Since then, the world's first peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system has come a long way. Since Satoshi sent the first 50 Bitcoin transaction to Hal Finney in 20 2009, the network has grown exponentially. 
counting approximately 800,000 daily active addresses today. Bitcoin has demonstrated incredible resilience in regards to its network security. On October the 10th, Bitcoin's hash rate reached an all-time high of 157 exahashes per second. During the last decade, a steadily expanding financial ecosystem has developed around Bitcoin, and especially in the last couple of years, legacy finance took notice of the pioneering cryptocurrency. Institutional interest in Bitcoin has seen a spike this year as publicly traded companies have begun adopting Bitcoin as a reserve asset to celebrate the incredible growth of the Bitcoin ecosystem over the past 12 years, we have compiled a few facts surrounding the release of the Bitcoin white paper. Satoshi Nakamoto registered the Bitcoin.org domain on August the 18th, 2008, more than one month before the white paper was released. Satoshi used the domain to host the PDF version of the white paper, which he then shared to the cryptography mailing list. The white paper announced itself was not a big deal. The audience on the cryptography mailing list was limited, and as such, it took two days before pseudonymous cryptographer James A. Donald became the first to react to Satoshi's post, said comment was much less enthusiastic than what we're used to today. <clears throat> Quote, we very, very much need a system, such a system, but the way I understand your proposal, it does not seem to scale to the required size. So a little pause there. The very first thing was a scaling debate. That was the very first argument that, that Bitcoin touched off was the scaling debate, which is always going to be with us. Was it because it was the first thing that was touched off? I don't know. I think, I think it's more, more or less the fact that there, there is a scaling thing about Bitcoin. It's not an issue. It's not a problem. It's a thing. I honestly, I think it's a feature, not a bug. <clears throat> the reason I say that is in design science, sometimes if you're given an open slate, like all the money in the world to design whatever it is that you want with no, with no parameters, then it's actually a lot harder to build something of value than if you have to work within a system that has walls and barriers and all manner of different types of terrain that you just can't do certain things. And then all of a sudden the mind is able to open up and really start solving problems. And that's what second layer, third layer, fourth layer tech is. That's what it's there for. This is how we scale. You don't scale from the very beginning. That doesn't seem to work very well. Okay. I mean, even evolution didn't do that. Evolution did not scale from the get go. It started really, really small, and then all of a sudden other systems started to incorporate the very small systems that first began and then built more complex systems on top of that. You're not going to find anywhere in nature where the base layer scales, whether it's chemistry, biology, it, it, it freaking doesn't matter. So stop bitching and moaning. <clears throat> Continuing, in his response, Donald pointed out that in order to reject double spending attacks, each peer would need to have a database of the most past transactions and express doubt with regards to the execution of such a system in respect of bandwidth limitations. Another early response came from Ray Dillinger, who stated his wariness of Bitcoin's inflation rate and consequently doubt over a potential market for the cryptocurrency, pointing to inherent annual inflation for proof of work assets due to the advancement of technology, quote, in the case of Bitcoins, the inflation rate of 35% is almost guaranteed by the technology. There are no supporting mechanisms for taxation and no legal tender laws 
people will not hold assets in this highly inflationary currency if they can help it, end quote. In fact, however, Satoshi added a line related to the progress of technology to the white paper describing the reasoning behind Bitcoin's mining difficulty, which addresses this exact inflation rate, quote, to compensate for increasing hardware speed and varying interest in running nodes over time, the proof-of-work difficulty is determined by a moving average, targeting an average number of blocks per hour. If they're generated too fast, the difficulty increases. End quote. In a November 6th post to the cryptocurrency mailing list, Satoshi responded to a message that he had mostly retracted, leaving only a single sentence, quote, you will not find a solution to political problems in cryptography, end quote. This is true. The original author of the message, as well as its full content, are not known. It is believed that Satoshi may have copied the statement from a private conversation. This indicates, however, that it was a reasonable, of reasonable importance to Satoshi to share his response. Quote, <clears throat> yes, but we can win a major battle in the arms race and gain a new territory of freedom for several years. Governments are good at cutting off the heads of a centrally controlled network like Napster, but pure P2P networks like Nutella and Tor seem to be holding their own, end quote. Following the post, an admin message was sent to the mailing list titled Admin, No Money Politics Please, end quote. Ooh, damn. Quote, a bunch of people seem anxious to branch the discussion of cryptographic cash protocols off into a discussion of the politics of money, the message read, then asking mailing list participants to refrain from rabid libertarian discussion. <laughs> oh, damn. After Satoshi received several comments questioning the viability of the Bitcoin concept, the late Hal Finney was the first to express a vote of confidence in Bitcoin. A week after Satoshi published the white paper, he says, quote, Bitcoin seems to be a very promising idea. I like the idea of basing security on the assumption that the CPU power of honest participants outweighs that of the attacker. It is a very modern notion that exploits the power of the long tail. When Wikipedia started, I never thought it would work, but it has proven to be a great success for some of the same reasons, end quote. Hal Finney later became a significant contributor to Bitcoin. One of his primary projects was BC Flick, which used trusted computing in order to strengthen Bitcoin wallets. Finney further proposed the use of GLV endomorphism to increase the efficiency of Bitcoin signatures. As the BTC Times reported, the expiry of a patent related to that technology recently paved the way for the upgrade to enable be enabled in Bitcoin Core. While Satoshi, well, sorry, while white papers have achieved some unfortunate notoriety following a flood of overpromising and undelivering undelivering papers. Uh, throughout 2017, in the case of Bitcoin, that wasn't the case. When Hal Finney encouraged Satoshi to share a more formal text description of the system as a helpful next step, the Bitcoin creator revealed that he had, in fact, written the code prior to authoring the white paper. Quote, <coughs> I appreciate your questions. I actually did this kind of backwards. I had to write all of the code before I could convince myself that I could solve every problem. Then I wrote the paper. I think I will be able to release the code sooner than I could write a detailed spec. You are already right about most of your assumptions where you filled in the blanks. End quote. Twelve years later, Bitcoin has far transcended the confinements of the cryptography mailing list and made its way into social media, mainstream news organizations, and now the world's boardrooms. We can't wait to see where Bitcoin stands another 12 years from now. Again, that was written by Andrew Yang. It was a really nice synopsis of what's going on with the history of the white paper. All right, <clears throat> now getting into some apathy on shitcoinery. Uh, my favorite part. <clears throat> Traders are apathetic 
as Wobi launches two new wrapped assets on Ethereum. <laughs> Andrew Thurb is writing this for Cointelegraph. Oh, when? Oh, God. Sometime late last night. Okay, here we go. Following the success of HBTC, the wrapped Bitcoin tradable on Ethereum currently securing nearly $70 million in BTC, Wobi Global has released the latest in its H token series, Litecoin and BSV. Oh, However, traders and developers thus far don't seem interested. First announced in September, the H token series promised to bring a wide range of assets to Ethereum. Wobi CIO and head of Wobi DeFi Labs, Charlene Wu, said in a press release that the offerings would be aimed at empowering the decentralized finance ecosystem with a broad range of collateralized shitcoins. Oh, I'm sorry, wrapped assets. Quote, Wobi's mission in DeFi is to provide the community with more high-quality assets to make DeFi more inclusive, to make the global finance system better, and to realize the vision of enabling hundreds of millions of people around the world to truly benefit from the development of a shitcoin casino. I'm sorry, DeFi, she said. It remains an open question if traders and DeFi developers have any interest in some of the new assets Wobi is bringing to Ethereum. The two latest offerings have seen scant traffic. HBSV, Wobi's wrapped version of BSV, <clears throat> launched over a week ago, but on-chain metrics show that only 12 wallets currently hold the token. That's 12. Including the Wobi exchange wallet. Ooh, so subtract one from 12. The last time any HBSV was transferred of 35 transactions in total was five days ago. Meanwhile, HLTC, the wrapped Litecoin, was launched on Friday. Sports a measly seven holders in 21 total transactions. There is a chance interest in the wrapped coins could pick up in the future, however. Not bloody likely. Alan Scott, head of Cointelegraph Markets, explained that the tepid response to the assets could be due to the current market conditions. Quote, Investors are likely unwilling to hold these since there's little incentive to hold a wrapped asset whose market cap is a lot smaller than the wrapper itself, or in this case, Ether. Moreover, altcoins have been underperforming versus BTC in recent months. What can I tell you, people? Don't get into anything but Bitcoin. It's just wrapped Bitcoin doesn't exist. Bitcoin cannot exist on any other chain than Bitcoin. And anybody who tells you different is lying through their teeth or they're try or they're they're either woefully misinformed to the point of incredible stupidity, or they're deliberately misleading you to give them to give them your Bitcoin and they give you some kind of IOU that is quote representative of what it is you gave them on some shit chain. Don't do it. It's gonna be bad for your health, I guarantee it. <clears throat> now, talk about health. Let's talk about MicroStrategy's bottom line. This is BTC Times, Nick Chong, writing this one on Halloween. MicroStrategy's Bitcoin investment is now over $100 million in profit. Well, probably not right now, considering that we are seeing a dump. The bears seem to have come out of hibernation for a little while, but oh well, we'll give it a break. In August and September... MicroStrategy made headlines when it deployed $425 million into Bitcoin over the span of tens of thousands of buying orders. In total, the business services companies acquired more than 38,250 Bitcoin for an overall cost basis of $11,101 per coin. <clears throat> no, sorry, $111 per coin. This investment represented a large portion of the firm's treasury, which was then sitting dormant, being inflated away by the printing of fiat dollars. 
While the investment has only been in place for mere months, MicroStrategy is already recording massive unrealized profits. When Bitcoin passed $13,727 today, shooting straight across $14,000, it became official that MicroStrategy had made an unrealized $100 million in profit on its investment in the leading cryptocurrency. You mean the only cryptocurrency. MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor is also up largely on his personal Bitcoin investment. While it is usually not advisable to disclose your holdings, Saylor shared his on October the 28th, stating he hodls 17,732 Bitcoin that he acquired at $9,882 per coin on average. This means that his initial investment was worth $175.2 million. His Bitcoin currently boasts a value of $243 million today, implying an unrealized profit of approximately $67.8 million he made if he were to sell, and I don't think he's going to, he would realize $67 million in a few months, possibly a little over a quarter. I, I would have to go back to see when Bitcoin was at $9,882 on average for a while. So let's say, let's say two quarters, $67 million. That's kind of impressive, man. As a related aside, $80 billion financial technology company Square is up $14 million on its Bitcoin investment. At this point, all institutional and corporate investors in Bitcoin are in profit on their allocations to Bitcoin. Data from Rodolfo Novak's site, Bitcoin Treasuries, shows. <clears throat> MicroStrategy has no intention to sell any coins, despite its unrealized profits dramatically bolstering its balance sheet. In fact, in its Q3 earnings call, MicroStrategy president Fong Lee indicated that the firm is open to buying more Bitcoin given its investment potential and the ability to bolster MicroStrategy's profile. Quote, you should expect that we will purchase additional Bitcoin as we generate cash beyond what we need to run the business on a day-to-day -day basis. We've seen a notable and unexpected benefit from our investment in Bitcoin in elevating the profile of the company in the broader market. End quote. As Saylor has explained in interviews and press releases, there is a material benefit to owning Bitcoin over holding cash. In the press release announcing the company's first foray into Bitcoin in August, Saylor was quoted saying that Bitcoin is a dependable store of value and an attractive investment asset with more long-term appreciation potential than holding cash. The entrepreneur elaborated that in the current macroeconomic environment, where there is uncertainty in the economic and health state of the world, Bitcoin makes increasing sense. Quote, we believe that together, these and other factors may well have a significant depreciating effect on the long-term real value of fiat currencies and many other conventional asset types, including many of the assets traditionally held as part of a corporate treasury operation. End quote. Sailor has said MicroStrategy plans to hold Bitcoin for 100 years, making clear that these coins are unlikely to be sold unless there are expenses to cover. MicroStrategy is likely to be one of the many firms owning Bitcoin in the future, analysts argue. At the BTC, as the BTC Times reported, Unchained Capital's Parker Lewis recently noted that Microsoft alone holds $123 billion in short-term investments and $13.5 billion in cash and cash equivalents, for a total of $136.5 billion, <laughs> jeez, these are holdings that are being inflated away rapidly in the most centrally stimulated environment in history. In all, corporations are expected to hold trillions of dollars worth of assets, all of which are falling victim to currency devaluation. 
As more technology companies make the ranking of the largest corporations, the especially they ah sorry the especially seem to okay that's why they especially seem to struggle with a cash problem, making them prime contenders to adopt Bitcoin. Uh, it actually says the especially, so I had to edit on the fly. Sorry about that. As of the end of the second quarter, Alphabet, Google's parent company, held $17.7 billion in cash and $103.3 billion in short-term investments, while Apple held $33.3 billion in cash and $59.6 billion in short-term investments. Real Vision Chief Executive Raul Paul believes that in the coming years, the tech giants with dozens, uh, with dozens will have Bitcoin on their balance sheet. Okay, that, again, dude. The tech giants will have Bitcoin on their balance sheet. Powell also thinks that the cryptocurrency will act as a life raft that will shoot to $1 million in the coming five years. Thanks to institutional adoption, macroeconomic trends such as inflation and the digitization of the world due to the pandemic. So yeah, MicroStrategy is up big time on this one. Crypto queen lawyer is disbarred in New York. Mark Scott forbidden from practicing law in the state of New York. Robert Stevens is going to tell us about this scammer uh, from Decrypt.co. He's writing that yesterday. The, <clears throat> the lawyer who defended the OneCoin scammer known as the Crypto Queen was on Friday disbarred in New York State. Mark Scott, formerly an attorney for Lock Lord LLP, was banned from practicing law in New York due to his involvement in the OneCoin scam, a fake blockchain project that conned users into buying up tokens that never existed. <clears throat> Federal prosecutors allege that the scam, which started in 2014, took more than $4 billion from investors, <laughs> as did EOS, <clears throat> which in my opinion is a scam too, but they're not getting in any trouble. Scott was convicted for conspiracy to commit money laundering and bank fraud last November. He's awaiting sentencing. Ruja Ignatova, OneCoin's creator in the quote, crypto queen, is still at large after disappearing in 2017. On Friday, a panel of five judges ordered that Scott's name be struck from the role of attorneys in the state of New York. Quote, it is ordered that respondent is commanded, commanded to desist and refrain from the practice of law in any form in the state of New York, either as principal or as agent, clerk, or employee of another, wrote the judges. Damn, he can't even clerk? Holy God dang, Scott is forbidden for appearing as an attorney or counselor at law before any court, court, judge, justice, board, commission, or other public authority, or to give another an opinion as the law or its application. Shit, he can't even give advice at this point. <clears throat> the New York panel relies on a prior suspension from the Supreme Court of Florida where Scott was admitted in 1998. The OneCoin scam lured investors in with the promise of becoming the next Bitcoin. What separates OneCoin and other crypto companies is that OneCoin's blockchain did not even exist. When people wired it money, they believed that they were buying OneCoin tokens, which would accrue value <clears throat> and could one day be sold on secondary markets. However, the company controlled the ledger and made up the price. <clears throat> so why we Bitcoin? This is exactly why we Bitcoin. Let's run the numbers. Energy stocks tanking. We got oil down. Oh God, there's not. They're, they're not even listing Brent North Sea right now. Uh, West Texas Intermediate is down two point six three percent. There we go. 
uh, $34.85 is going to buy you a barrel of West Texas Intermediate. Brent is going for $37.13. That's down 2.1 points. Uh, Natural gas is down 2.6 points, but it's still kind of high at a price, $3.26 per uh, 1,000 cubic feet of that stuff. Uh, let's see, what does index do? Appar- oh, we're saved. Apparently, we're okay. Uh, the Dow futures are up 1.5. S&P is up 1.3. NASDAQ futures up a point. And the S&P mini is going to save all of our asses being up one and a half points. And every single time over the last like week that I've done numbers that start off, uh, quote unquote, in the green, kind of end up in the red. So let's talk about real money. And we're also seeing a dump. Uh, one Bitcoin is going to cost you $13,417.84 of fiat shitcoin. Let's see. Do I have a low? Where is my low? Low's got to be somewhere. So hit BTC is going to have a price of $13,374. So man, almost a $40. We have 250,000 transactions occurred in the last 24 hours. That's 10,500 transactions on average per hour. With 2.4 million BTC being sent in the last 24 hours, that's 100,814 BTC being sent on average every hour with an average transaction value of 9.65 BTC and the median transaction value of 0.035 or about 468 bucks. Block times are high. They're at 12 minutes and 52 seconds. We have 1.5 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 170.6 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We have a hash rate bump to the upside 10.13% and we are back up to 123.1 exahashes per second. Ethereum at 384, Bcash at 260, Litecoin 5389, BSV 161, Ethereum Classic at 5 bucks, and Dogecoin mm, taking it on the chin 0.0025. Only 38,000 transactions have occurred on the Doge chain, but that still puts it ahead of Ethereum Classic's 14,000. And clearly ahead of Bcash's measly piddly ant 20,000. Let's see what Clark has to say. Uh, we have a price of $13,400 is what Clark is looking at. Uh, he ran the numbers. Apparently there are 18,531,862.9 BTC in circulation at the time. 61,000 transactions are awaiting clearance and they will have to board their flights 65 times. That's the amount of blocks that we'll have to clear to get rid of all that stuff. Uh, we have 1 million, no, 1 million, 1,003, good Lord, 1,038.75 BTC in the Lightning Network. That's $13.9 million worth of liquidity spread across 7,492 nodes featuring 35,646 channels, Tor capacity holding at 50.3%, that's 522.37 BTC, and running over 2,491 lightning nodes. That's going to do it for vitals. Look, Ma, I got Bitcoin. Trick-or-treaters rewarded with crypto. Turner Wright writing this one for Cointelegraph 17 hours ago. Be aware. It's possible that I may be bringing up the name of somebody who is not 
beloved by the community. But, you know, whatever. It happened. We got to deal with it. Let's see. Uh, let's Where to start? Oh, here it is. Uh, while many children dressed as ghosts, goblins, and witches last night <clears throat> may have been disappointed to find an inedible thin piece of cardboard left out in a goodie bag, a lucky few recognized the treat as a Bitcoin prize. According to an October 31st tweet from Brad Mills, the crypto user filled a Halloween candy box with more than just chocolates and sweets. He also added $200 in Bitcoin cards. Mills posted a video of him adding the two gift cards, each worth roughly 0.007 BTC, following the coin's rise to $14,000 and filmed the reactions of trick-or-treaters in his Canadian neighborhood. One boy in a white costume was the first to meticulously dig through the box before saying to his group of friends, I just got a $100 Bitcoin gift card. <laughs> Someone else in the group ret- retrieved the other card from the candy pile, repeatedly cheering, I got Bitcoin, I got Bitcoin, leaving one of the two remaining children in chicken and sloth costumes to come up empty-handed before asking, what's a Bitcoin? Mill's family later gave a few more BTC cards to a visiting group of girls who had heard about the crypto giveaway. Okay. Though miners aren't specifically barred from hodling or trading cryptocurrencies in some countries, many exchanges still require verification to ensure its users are over the age of 18. As the children from Mills' video are in Canada, they have access to Bitcoin ATMs, but most likely not local regulated exchanges to deposit their BTC or trade it for fiat. Despite some of the children involved not understanding about the coin, Reactions from the crypto community were positive, with many Twitter users stating it was a good lesson in scarcity. Quote, this feels historic, said crypto statistician Willie Wu. Quote, when these kids come into power, there there will only be 0.002 BTC per person to go around, end quote. Other good Samaritans have given away cryptocurrency seemingly in an effort to promote adoption. Cointelegraph reported that in September... One anonymous benefactor distributed more than $1,000 in some unnamed shitcoin, because I'm not even going to say it, around the California city of Bakersfield to spread awareness among no-coiners and new-coiners alike. Stop giving them crap, and they may actually pay attention. Square funds a designer to make crypto wallets usable by anyone. So this is yet another grant. This was written for Coindesk sometime uh, sometime yesterday by Kevin Reynolds. uh, Says... Square Crypto, the cryptocurrency arm of the payments company, said in a tweet Friday it had awarded a grant to a designer who's trying to make Bitcoin wallets usable by anyone, regardless of technical proficiency. The work Square Crypto will be funding will seek an answer to a question or seek an answer will seek to answer a question the grant recipient, Maggie Valentine, put forward in a proposal, namely, quote, How can we provide an intuitive experience for non-crypto users while preserving the security of a user's funds? The award comes less than a month after Square, which is helmed by Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey, said it had purchased 4,709 Bitcoin for $50 million, representing 1% of the firm's assets. The grant seems to be in line with statements made by company CFO Amrita Ahuja, can't pronounce it. Sorry, dude. At the time, Square's investment was announced. <clears throat> Quote, we believe that Bitcoin has the potential to be a more ubiquitous, ubiquitous currency in the future, she said. For a company that is building products based on a more inclusive future, this investment is a step on that journey, end quote. A more inclusive future that includes Bitcoin would also seem to be a profitable one for Square. The company's cash app has been a major revenue driver for the publicly traded fintech. So yet, 
another grant. They don't say how much it is here, but you know, Hey, you got another developer in the mix getting a grant to do the Lord's work. All right. Swiss arm of huge Russian bank, Russia to offer Bitcoin custody and trading Gazprom bank has opened its crypto business to a lucky few. I'm not going to be able to pronounce that very often. So be aware. Robert Stevens, uh, writing this one f- October the 30th uh, for Decrypt.co. This one I completely missed. The Swiss arm of one of Russia's largest banks yesterday announced that it would offer crypto custodian and Bitcoin exchange services to the businesses and institutions it counts as customers. The Swiss subsidiary of Gazprom Bank, Russia's third largest bank, has received authorization from the Swiss Financial Market Supervisory Authority, or FINMA, to offer the safe custody of cryptocurrencies as well as trading between crypto and fiat currencies to its corporate and institutional clients. It's effective immediately, but only for a limited number of select clients. Oh, assholes. Chosen through a, quote, stringent evaluation process, and it's just Bitcoin for now. We expect digital assets to become increasingly important in the global economy, and in particular for our current and potential clientele, said CEO Roman Abdulin in a statement, Gazprom Bank said that the advantage to clients is cryptocurrency liquidity, reduction of counterparty risk, uh, FINRA regulated bank beats cricket head 99 on localbitcoins.com. I don't know why that's there. It's in a parentheses and security <clears throat> quote as a FINMA regulated financial institution. We are confident that we can add value by providing an increased level of trust Two participants, both in terms of institutional grade custody as well as between transactional partners, said Abdulin. Gazprom Bank's one-time parent company was Gazprom, a St. Petersburg headquartered energy firm Oh, that's partly owned by the Russian state. Again, energy. So, so far, it's been Michael Saylor talking about energy as a currency. Uh, Henry Ford talked about energy as a currency. Buckminster Fuller talked about energy as a currency, and now we have a bank that used to be an energy company getting into Bitcoin, or at least something that they spun off a while back getting into Bitcoin. So energy for the fourth time. (coughs) Cryptocurrency regulation is far more stringent back in the motherland where cryptocurrencies are legal to own, but illegal to use for payments. Oh, and localbitcoins.com is blocked. (laughs) So again, you know, more and more people are starting to realize energy probably makes a really, really good currency. Um, we'll just leave it at that. U.S. banks <clears throat> may seek to partner with or buy crypto custodians, OCC's Brooks says. So the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency back in the news, this time with Kevin Reynolds for Coindesk.com. This was written on Halloween. U.S. banks are looking at ways to handle crypto adoption in the wake of the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, the OCC, July decision to allow banks to provide custody for cryptocurrencies. Acting Comptroller Brian Brooks said in a podcast, that may mean partnering with or purchasing custodians, he said. Speaking on Laura Shin's Unchained podcast earlier this week, Brooks said, well, what I have heard, a number of big crypto custodians, Anchorage, Coinbase and a number of others have been contacted by banks about whether they'd be willing to be like the third-party custody providers for national banks whose customers want to invest in Bitcoin. (laughs) Brooks speculated that due to the complexity of being a custodian, banks will seek to partner with outright outright buy custodians 
to handle the cryptocurrencies invested with them. And that's B-U-Y here. Quote, what they'll want to do is either buy crypto custodians or partner with crypto custodians to provide those services on their behalf. And now they can legally do that, Brooks said. Brooks also said that the move by banks to offer crypto will increase the comfort level of retail investors with the asset and lead to further gains, saying, I think demand increase is going to be noticeable. Ooh, damn, Brooks is kind of bullish there. I think it will also bolster merchant adoption because once this kind of thing happens, it's going to stabilize the entire market and merchants, you know, both large and small will feel a little bit more comfortable accepting cryptocurrency for goods and services. Now, here's here's an opinion. It's just an opinion, but let's see what Himardri Saha has to say for Crypto Potato on this one. <clears throat> and it was written yesterday. After massive gold sell-off, central banks should buy some Bitcoin now. <laughs> For the first time in a decade, central banks around the world are selling off their bullion stocks. Economists have opined that this is a direct result of the coronavirus pandemic-led fiscal stress. If the trend continues, gold prices are in for some serious freefall rides. The question is, will central banks start stockpiling on Bitcoin now? In a surprising report published by Bloomberg, central banks for the first time in a decade have become sellers of the yellow metal as opposed to their conventional trend of buying. Gold-producing nations were the ones to set off the massive dumping spree to offset the financial damage caused by the pandemic. Speaking on the development, a financial expert associated with a multinational bank remarked, quote, the pandemic has increased fiscal stress for many nations as countries continue to dole out fiscal support with gold prices at elevated levels, Central banks may opt to sell some of their precious metal holdings as they battle the crisis. According to the World Gold Council, latest quarterly demand trend report, the Uzbekistan and Turkey-led gold sell-off resulted in gross sales amounting to 78.9 tons in the third quarter itself. Russia's central bank also joined the dumping party by recording its first quarterly sale in 13 years. Jeez, they haven't sold an ounce of gold in 13 years. Also, central banks reportedly sold 12 tons of the yellow metal right in the September quarter. This is in stark contrast to September's 2019 purchase of 141.9 tons of gold. Financial experts say that this offloading of gold en masse will significantly affect gold prices. Commenting on the same economist, as mentioned above, he said, quote, If more central banks follow suit, then it may weigh on gold prices as central banks have been key buyers of the yellow metal in recent times. So in a sense, the crisis may turn unfavorable for gold to some extent. The rising trend of multi-billion dollar public companies entering million dollar positions in Bitcoin should be a wake-up call for central banks all over the world. It's true that BTC's creator is totally anonymous and the cryptocurrency remains largely unregulated. But when a scenario like the current one calls for salvaging sinking economic ships of a vast majority of nations, Bitcoin could be the answer. After all, the assets actually has limited supply and issuance, unlike gold whose numbers cannot be appropriately accounted for. <coughs> also, Bitcoin has demonstrated robust uh, Okay. Also, Bitcoin has demonstrated robust with 99.98% uptime since inceptions, coupled with the towering price rise since it began trading first. 
That's the actual sentence, word for word, I guarantee you. News about central banks working to release their native digital currencies is quite prevalent, but is their native crypto researchers were if their native native crypto researchers were to look up at Bitcoin price charts, the future BTC market outlooks by the likes of Bloomberg's Mike McGlone, they would realize it does make quite some sense to actually buy some Bitcoins. So gold dump. Let's check that out because I forgot to do metals prices. Hold up. Wow. So gold actually did fall. It's it's uh futures metal uh, gold futures right now is up half a point. Silver is up a uh, point and an eighth. Uh, platinum is up 0.8. Copper is up 0.15. But the gold, but price of gold dipped below um, $1,900. Actually, it's like, good Lord. Yeah, it's like at 1,889.6. Wow. Dude, that's really, I don't know, man. That's kind of odd. Seems a little weird that central banks are dumping gold positions. I mean, you know, money printer go burr. Why don't they just print some money? And, you know, that seems to be the way that they solve everything until they can't. And they actually got to come up with something of real value to, to pawn off. And the question becomes, if the central banks are, are, are the sellers, who are the buyers? Who's buying if central banks are selling? You, your, your guess is as good as mine, dude, because I don't know. But... Christine Lagarde is inviting public comments on a Eurozone CBDC. Mm -hmm. 21 hours ago, Andrew Thurman wrote this one for Cointelegraph. In a Twitter thread on Sunday, Christine Lagarde, former managing director of the IMF and convicted, oh, I'm sorry, uh, current president of the European Central Bank, invited public commentary on a potential Eurozone Central Bank digital currency or a CBDC. Be aware, she was convicted in a court of law, um, but nothing ever really happened. She went r immediately went right back to the UN, where she was praised and defended by everybody. But remember, Christine Lagarde was convicted in court. Okay, so, quote, we are still in review and consideration stage, but we've just launched a public cons consultation so that consumers and Europeans can actually express their preference and tell us whether they would be happy to use a digital euro just in the way they use a euro coin or a euro banknote, knowing that it is a central bank money, fiat, that is available and that they can rely upon, said Lagarde in a video from the thread. The comments on a possible CBDC were part of a larger series of reflections on what Lagarde described as a difficult year. Among the topics discussed were the impact of the coronavirus and how the ECB responded, the importance of examining how bank policy could combat climate change, for God's sakes, and how cryptocurrencies might better suit modern lifestyle choices on the part of Europeans. Quote, as Europeans are increasingly turning to digital in the ways they spend, save, and invest, we should be prepared to issue a digital euro if needed, Lagarde wrote. As Cointelegraph previously reported, the ECB has a roadmap toward a more serious CBD study in 2021. Additionally, central banks around the world are taking exploratory, if cautious, steps issuing CBDCs. The tweet also linked a survey form where the chief banker invited Europeans to share their thoughts. Quote, I am also keen to hear your views on it. Oh, bullshit. You don't care. You don't care. Oh, my God. That stop. Stop lying. You, you don't care. Anyways, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. The Daily Train Wrecked could be brought to you by none other 
at the moment at this moment of time than Stephanie Kelton, who says the scorekeeper sits outside the game. He can add and subtract points that appear and disappear from our scorecards. His points are called U.S. dollars, <laughs> and he spins them into existence the same way the stadium awards points to the teams in the World Series. Well, let's see what other nuggets of wisdom Stephanie has to say in this particular thread that got her one of the best memes I've ever seen on Bitcoin Twitter. I won't describe it here. I'm, you know, bad enough that I dropped the F-bomb, so I don't need to be describing the meme. If you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. On October the 27th, she starts this thread by saying, I promise to stop when the battle is won. Until then, here's another attempt to improve understanding and shift our broken thinking about government deficits. First, the word deficit. It's a terrible word because it suggests a shortfall, a deficiency, a problem. It's none of those things. But that's how we usually think of the word. Like when the announcer says, quote, if the Rays are going to come back and win this game, they're going to need to overcome a three-run deficit against the Dodgers, end quote. The team with the deficit loses the game. We talk about Uncle Sam as if he's just another player in the economic game. He's not. He's not playing against the rest of us. He doesn't lose anything when he's in deficit. He's the scorekeeper. And as she says, the scorekeeper sits outside of the game and adjusts our scorecards. I've never seen a I've never seen drivel like this before. I mean, I, I showed this I showed this to my wife, who's a trained rhetorician, okay? Technical communication and rhetoric. I showed her that one, that one tweet where she talks about the World Series and the scorekeeper sitting outside our game. And she looked at me and the first thing she said is that's propaganda. You should take that to heart. She's got a PhD in this shit, okay? It's not like she doesn't know what she's talking about. She studies this stuff at the PhD level, right? She is a professor at a university, and that's what her specialty is. Being able to spot this kind of shit is one of her one of her many talents. I mean, this is what this isn't her specialty. But because of what her specialty is, rhetoric comes into play and she can spot this shit a mile away. And she has basically called out Stephanie Kelton as a propagandist for the United States Treasury, Federal Reserve, and United States government. And I don't think Uncle Sam really appreciates being mentioned in this particular set of tweets. Anyway, there's your smoldering pile. Terrible Joke Corner by Dad Says Jokes. I stabbed a vampire, beat some zombies to death, and killed the devil himself. My wife rushed into the room and shouted, God, you're supposed to give them candy. Well, now. Yeah, it's probably a little a little brutal, considering he's talking about killing children, but, you know, hey. Dad does does what he can. Anyway, oh, I've I've just seen that Johnny Depp has lost his UK libel case against the publisher of The Sun, whatever the hell that means, just so that you would know. Um, 
Let's see here. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, actually, that's it. We've gotten through the entire thing. Uh, it's another, let's see, this will be episode uh, 213 is now in the bag, bro. It's in the bag. So I'm going to go ahead and let you go by saying the usual. We'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.